You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Find me online at JackieDaly.com. That's Jackie with no E. DailyLikeEveryday.com. And from there, you can either follow me on the X at Jackie Daly Host, or you can subscribe for free or do both. Uh, Subscribe at TheBlaze.com forward slash podcast or Spotify or iHeartRadio or many others. Okay. This show, I kind of get a little bit serious because I've been so disturbed um, by this book called The Jakarta Method. The Jakarta Method, Jakarta being a city in Indonesia. Uh, Subtitle, Washington's Anti-Communist Crusade and the Mass Murder Program that Shaped Our World. This is a very prominent journalist writing a book that was very difficult for me to get through. But I did it for one reason. I wanted to understand why people who seem otherwise like good people, decent people, intelligent people um, are believing big, broad narratives that are not true. I feel like this whole show is about debunking narratives that are not true. Um, In this case, it's that a war was about communism when it was really about oil. That's the, the very simplistic version But what this book did for me, and I'll share with you later in the show, is explain to me how the younger generation can at times seem to be so self-loathing, self-loathing of themselves as Americans, as if we're a force for bad in the world, or self-loathing because of their race. They think they're white, so they were born bad. Like, where do these horrible racist ideas come from? What is causing them to be persuaded? What is missing in this debate? How How do otherwise... Perfectly pleasant people believe such militant and radicalized ideas. And so I don't recommend this book, but I'm going to share with you how it did open my eyes to how this has happened, how such large segments of our population can be swept away to believe things that are patently false. And, you know, if you read this book, you can understand why that self-loathing part of the population believes that they are righteous, that they're right, that they, why they would rejoice at this open border, why they would think that's a great thing. I read this book. I, I realized what they're believing, what the problem is, and what the solution is. There actually is a solution. So stick with me. I only got through part of it. There's so much to it. Uh, But I've consumed this book and listened to the book on tape as well to really consume this Marxist stuff. (laughs) Marxist is my opinion, my view of it. The author doesn't label it as such. It's just my opinion. Um, But we have to know what this is to be able to take it on. And so I I try to debunk this idea um, that, that the United States seems to have invented slavery, according to some people, or at least the Western world, um... In fact, it existed long before there was the West. Um, And I I have Jason Nelson on the show as a guest, um, disabled veteran, U.S. Army and Marine Corps, um, tells the true story about how he chanced upon a human slavery operation right here in Texas. He was at a nice hotel, three in the morning, chances upon a human trafficking operation had to use lethal force to defend his own life. But this is just one example 
of real-life modern-day slavery. There's actually more people enslaved right now than at any other time in history. And so there are ways you can actually help. Um, but, but the, you know, the truth about the Jakarta-Indonesia fight, you know what, it was really about oil. Probably at the end of the day, it's because they are an oil-rich country. And we wanted them in our column, not in the communist column. I really think that probably is the bottom line. I've spent years studying oil and conflicts over oil and pipeline routes. Why are we never told those details? Why is that never part of the story? Instead, it's about ideas, and it is about ideas. But there's a pragmatic side of most populations that tend to rise to the top of our leadership class somehow. They're not the most idealistic people. They're nuts and bolts, pragmatic, bricks and mortar, minerals people. You know, much more pragmatic than me. Um, So I'll tell you something about that too. By the way, um, my guest Jason Nelson is the man behind PrepperBeef.com. PrepperBeef.com. This is a Texas company using a Texas supply chain selling you freeze-dried emergency food. So if the grid goes down, as could happen in Texas, I talk about it frequently because we don't have good energy policy here. I will be on stage at the NAEP, the biggest oil and gas conference in the world, interviewing Governor Greg Abbott and Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma about energy policy, the Texas grid, and so much more coming up at the NAEP February uh, 6th through the 9th in Houston, Texas. So I'll be taking up some of these issues. Okay, and I'm, I'm all out of time for this segment. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Find me online at JackieDaly.com. And from there, you can link over to the podcast, either at The Blaze, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and subscribe for free. And you should follow me on Rumble, YouTube, the X at Jackie Daly Host, and most other places where quality social media and podcasts are found. Okay. I have on the line Jason Nelson. Jason Nelson is a disabled U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran, and he has a company that I'm kind of excited about. I just learned about it, like literally, um, in the past week. It's called Prepper All Naturals. Sounds like the kind of thing I'm into because you know I talk to you so regularly about the vulnerability of our electric grid. It is a really big deal. I just learned, like yesterday, that the new film that the Obamas put out, what, I, I, no, I didn't write down the name of it, like the world, something, it's about the world passing away. Anyway, just Google it, Barack Obama and Michelle's new film. Guess what? The plot is about the grid going down. The grid going down. I've been talking about this for years. And so I, I see it as the great, greatest asymmetrical threat, except maybe a bioweapon. Um, Jason Nelson has a company called Prepper All Naturals. And guess what? All of the products they sell are made in America by this American disabled vet. And even the packaging. He has gone to great lengths to make sure the packaging is also not made by our foreign adversaries, which 
gives me great comfort because I have to tell you, I have bought more than my share of prepping materials. And how much confidence do I lose when I look at, you know, the solar panel generator, uh, the frozen food, the emergency food, and I see that it is made in a country that is hostile to the United States. Why on earth would I trust a survival product from a country that's basically at war with us uh, one way or the other, whether economically or otherwise? So on the line, welcome Jason Nelson. Nice to have you. Thank you so much, Jackie. And that was a great intro. Thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. I want people to be able to support American business run by Americans and you're getting actually your uh, freeze-dried beef. I see it here um, from Texas, right? This is all American source stuff, so we can all feel good about that. Before I go any further, where can they find your website and buy your products? So that's at, at PrepperBeef.com, PrepperBeef.com. Uh, you know, it, most people wouldn't know this is actually literally an organic conversation because we just found out before we came on uh, that this was, you know, the case and uh, in your green room. So, uh, you know, it's very important. You just touched on such an important point beyond that, being able to depend on the quality of the product. I mean, obviously, they don't want you to survive. So why would they give you something that, you know, would work? But you think the irony in being a company that uh, sells to Americans and purports to be American that if any of your dependence is on a foreign supply chain, then you've defeated the entire purpose of, you know, your company. That the whole idea is that you're creating a self-sufficient uh, ecosystem. And so our story behind our company, was it wasn't just that uh, our beef comes from Texas. No, our, we, have, we have our two cattle ranches that we pull from. I go out and I go to the cows every week. I go walk with our cows because we pre-bought them two years ago. Um, you know, we, we know where they come from. Literally they are slaughtered, hand slaughtered, humanely hand slaughtered here, uh, right here in, in, in central Texas and, and they're hand carved. Uh, we you sous vide them right here in our, uh, uh, facility and then they're freeze dried. So it's like every step of the way, I mean, everything we did is, is not only just local as can be, but you know, like you said, we, I mean, our oxygen absorbers come from Minnesota. And if you think, I think we're their number one customer, I think they only make them for us. So we're really proud of that. And I'm always amazed when people sit here and say, well, I'm going to get a product from our adversary to keep me alive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not often listed in the fine print. Imagine how much sales would go down if these online sellers actually had to put the country of origin onto their products. I have learned order like one thing. See where it's from before you put in a big order, because I just don't trust things that are made in certain countries. So uh, before I go forward, because I actually want to write this down for myself again, give me that that website one more time. It's prepperbeef.com. Prepperbeef.com. Okay, that's really easy. All right, well, you have gained a customer, at least one, by having done this interview uh, already. So, okay, aside from your obvious uh, mission and passion to keep Americans alive, in the worst of times, Um, you have an amazing true story. And, you know, not many people among us have had to take a life in self-defense, but you have. Um, Not just because you were uh, in the U.S. Army and also the Marine Corps, which is somewhat unusual, actually. Most people have to choose one 
Uh, but not everybody. I've been I, I, can, I can answer that. I okay. was in the Marine Corps first for eight years, and then I went to college, and I learned how to read, and the Marine Corps would take me back, so I had to go into the Army. No, I, I wanted to go Army Special Operations, and the, the Civil Affairs PSYOP side was, was way more uh, enticing in the Army side, the resources. So Okay. Well, I don't blame you. Um, uh, although, I think if I had been a, a male, uh, if, I, if I'd been a man, first of all, Mom was going to name me uh, John Wayne. That would have been my, my real first and middle That's name. Awesome. I know, right? She, and then she would have called me Duke. Uh, but what I think I would have done is at age 18, probably joined the Marine Corps. And then after being worn out and getting the vinegar out of my system, same thing. I would have wanted to go into special ops and, uh, and, and move in that pattern. So very interesting. So let's get to... Well, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I, you, you have this amazing story Few people outside of combat would ever experience this. Um, but literally, what I see from what I know of this story is that you and your wife have a date night at the Hotel Indigo, which is in Waco, Texas, not far from here. And at 3 a.m., you're awakened to these horrific screams and you witness a woman being attacked by a man who is six foot five. 370 pounds. Basically, you try to de-escalate uh, this person. It sounds like the person got um, was, was bigger than you and was able to slam you into a wall and grab your firearm, but not before you could get off a single shot and struck the assailant. Okay, that's, that's the fact pattern that I know about. Um, so... Basically, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to get to your impressions about what happened more than even what happened. Because you had to fight this person for about a minute before you finally collapsed. We find out you disrupted a sex trafficking operation. Um, and thank God, a grand jury has determined your actions were in self-defense. Um, I, I, it's hard to even know where to jump in there. I have a hundred questions for you. Um but tell it. Tell me first. Did I get those facts comprehensive? Did I get everything that really mattered in the fact pattern? Would you add? You did. I, I would only add three quick things. One. Um, so I'm 100 100 percent combat disabled, and I just had my hip replaced uh, uh, ten weeks ago. So uh, the fact is that I've done a cane, and I'm no longer at my thought playing weight of 250 six uh, five. I'm I'm down to 165 pounds due to all these numerous injuries. Wow. Uh, so I could barely walk when this happened. Um, and the second fact that I would want to point out is that not a single person left their room to assist me. Not a single man. I've read all the witness wow. statements. Um, I've seen the 911, I've listened to 911 calls, seen the room, seen what this man was doing uh, to these women. And, um, you know, morally, I feel justified. But in the end, the main reason deadly force was even necessary was that there was no hotel security and not a single man came out there to to assist. And in the end, even if he had grabbed me with multiple men there, we would have been able to defend. But at his size and my size, no, I had no choice. Uh, he went for the firearm. Uh, and, and I, and even after I shot him, like you said, I had to wrestle with him for a minute. So yeah, you got all the facts there, but um, just wanted to add the little disclaimers, if you will. Quite amazing because you hear this so often that there's an altercation and either no one helps and they all pull out their cell phones I'm not exactly sure what for what purpose, I guess, to create evidence or or for whatever reason. Um, but it is so rare 
is the person who will put themselves at risk to help someone else. So the first thing is, thank you. And I sure hope that if anything ever happens to me, there's someone like you there to intervene and do something about it. Um, you know, it, it's just hard to find, even, even among men, uh, people who are willing. And I want to, actually, I, I'm looking at the clock. I actually have to go to break. I cannot believe it. Okay, but I want you all to stay with me. I'm going to continue this conversation with Jason Nelson, uh, his true story of having to defend himself uh, in a lethal altercation and, uh, and what happened next. Again, he is the man behind PrepperBeef.com, disabled U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show, and I'm continuing a conversation with Jason Nelson. He is the man behind PrepperBeef.com. You heard me right. PrepperBeef.com. Emergency food sourced right here in the great state of Texas, all-American supply chain, uh, so you can feel safe (laughs) owning this product. Uh, Where we left off is the true story of Jason having to defend himself in a lethal altercation with a or against a six foot five, three hundred and seventy pound man, uh, even though Jason's disabled, and um, the true story then of having to face potentially consequences for this self defense. Now, thankfully, the grand jury here in Texas apparently determined, <clears throat> Jason, that your actions were in self defense, so that's why you're able to talk about this. That means that the grand jury actually. Uh, performed their function in protecting you against prosecution. Um, But tell me a little bit about this. I I almost wonder why the prosecutor chose to even put it before the grand jury. I I suppose it was high profile. Maybe they felt uh, compelled. But one would have hoped that a prosecutor would use their discretion to not even bring it before the grand jury because you busted up a sex trafficking operation for crying out loud. You're disabled and you're up against a person who's six foot five, 370 pounds with witnesses. So tell me about how this happened. You know, so you're, you're touching on a very important point there. And I think that it's a, it's a mixed bag on the uh, going to the grand jury because in a way I'm actually relieved because had they not no build this um, and and this is a greater point I think that is a little bit scarier that people should realize as we see states evolve their second amendment uh, stances and how their legislature protects them but in a way this was good for me because it prevented further prosecution in the future by somebody who might be politically motivated to make a point yes okay good point (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. So, but that doesn't take away the, I mean, so I'm in the hallway when this is happening and you have to realize that through my brain, beyond the tactics of the moment and 20 years of training do help in that matter, but, and beyond the idea of where are the other people, like you said, they'll, they'll view through a cell phone. I don't know why, but they, they won't intercede. And and there's just not a lot of real men left in the world. Um, I yeah. can't even imagine not responding to a woman crying for help. Right. I cannot imagine <clears throat> not doing it. Uh, I have two daughters and a wife. Uh, but when when you see that, you know, I was in that hallway and my only emotion, I, I can remember feeling like I'm alone out here. 
right. all alone. I remember thinking it at every point during that interaction. And I remember when he grabbed the weapon and I had unleashed a round and I thought I'd missed him. And I remember sitting there thinking, um, he's taking the firearm from me. He's much bigger than I am. And I am about to just revert to animalistic behavior to try and stop. I don't know how to stop this man that big. Right. So the whole time you're all thinking, am I going to get shot in the back by the police who arrive? You yeah. know, my wife's on the call in 911 laying in the bathtub. So then you're, am I going to get shot by them? Am I going, you know, and all of that is just, it was, uh, the, the police, you know, in the end they do show up. We, I was rendering aid after I'd shot him uh, and gotten on, I sent out essentially a nine line to 911. Um, and the whole time I'm rendering aid, that was the only time somebody came out to help. Uh, this man came down the hallway when I started screaming for medical aid and uh the police still showed up and they put a you know uh a, you know they approached and, and put a, a weapon to my back and 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 put me in cuffs and not only that they went into my my hotel room and put a weapon in my wife's face wow. and and a ballistic shield and a weapon and made her get in cuffs and for no reason i still don't understand why they did that with her but the point is is that you know this entire time throughout this process there's this thing where I, I, it, the larger picture of me looks back on it and thinks that the situation shouldn't have devolved to that far. But even when it did, it was so clearly that we were in the right, our, our interactions and to be treated and have to be worried about prosecution and possibly being at, uh, the victim of an unattended police shooting or, or anything of that nature. I mean, my wife is still traumatized. Oh yeah. You know, she's still in therapy over this. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, these are the Waco police. Or heavy-handed, um, and and that's too bad. Um, I guess to, to clarify that they they were very they showed ex- extreme restraint, but the approach in general was very heavy-handed. I want to be clear. I, I'm proud of the fact that I wasn't shot in the back. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, yeah, because you always wonder um, for those of us who do carry um, how you would behave in certain situations, and then. When you do the right thing, as you did, you know, there, there's a price to be paid after the fact, which is the process you were put through. In, in this case, I'm so glad it, it turned out well for you. As you said, you got no build. So that's the end of it. Should be. Um, and so, you know, I would ask this. I mean, do you have any regrets or would you have done anything differently? Uh, I mean, even knowing the, uh, look, no one in the world I can imagine would want to serve as judge, jury, and executioner. We all, obviously you can name extreme situations in which somebody might be, feel morally compelled to that, but this is not one of those. This was a situation which if I could have, if anything could have de-escalated that situation further, I, I, I've replayed this scenario a million times. Uh, there are, I mean, I do have obviously some post-traumatic stress from it. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that I don't think there's anything that I could have done differently. So therefore, because there's nothing I could have done that I had control over and done differently other than not intervene, then I, uh, at that point, I, I feel, if I would say morally justified, it doesn't make it feel better, but I, I wish it had never happened. I wish this man had never made these decisions, decisions in his life that led to this. But you and I both know these are not isolated incidents. No. Um, obviously, we see a rise in violent crime around the country, no matter how they want to skew statistics in their favor. And so, you know, the choice is to not intervene. And I don't think that's an option. Right. 
Well, I'm just curious, what was the age of the woman that was being trafficked? So, uh, obviously, they did not necessarily give correct information to the police, but these were young young women, um, you know, somewhere in the age of 18 to 22. And uh, unfortunately, as we found out through our lawyers' investigations, you know, we, we, they've essentially disappeared. And that was my wife's greatest fear. To this day, my wife still is worried about those women and the repercussions that they would have received because it, we don't know if this was a single incident, uh, if this was a, a regular use. You know, we're still in the discovery phase right now and understanding what uh, if this hotel was a regular spot, if you will. Um, according to our records, the, the gentleman who had gone there, uh, not the gentleman, the monster, the monster who had done this had been back to that hotel most, multiple times for multiple stays and had a relationship that was known to the police um, with the uh traffickers so that you know all of these facts as they come out um it doesn't make you feel better but uh, it does make you understand why why that this happened and, and why it was necessary to get involved right well you know the dallas morning news did a really great expose on human trafficking in texas because we are a border state so a lot of people get trafficked across the border uh, they reported that the average age of a trafficked person in dallas is 13, 13, and the average lifespan of a trafficked person in Dallas, Texas, is seven years after entering being trafficked. And the reasons for that, I have friends who are prosecutors, they said, you know, it's everything from um, drug overdoses, very common, uh, abuse, they just disappear, no one ever finds them again, um, or... Uh, a number of other things, but, uh, you know, untreated medical conditions and things like that. Um, you know, go ahead. People think of, they, they say that, that, uh, prostitution is a victimless crime, but what they're seeing on the, first of all, it's not a victimless crime because the majority, 95% of women, uh, are, have been trafficked for long, you know, for years prior to that. Uh, it's, it's not victimless and, and you're just perpetuating the cycle. And most people, don't believe it happens in their small town. Right, and, and there's a ton of it here in Dallas. Um, I met a lady who was, just quickly, was brought into it when she was about 15 from Coppell, Texas, which is Dallas-Fort Worth. She believed she was doing it out of her own volition. She ran away from home, and she thought she was making a big girl decision that this is what she wanted to do. She finally got out of it, which was risky. She went back to one of her friends who was still doing it and said, leave this world and and she said i'm doing this in my own volition this is what i want to do with my life she said let me ask you a question what would happen tomorrow if you told your pimp i'm not showing up i'm going to take the day off and lay out in the sun what would happen and she said she just burst out laughing and said that would never happen and she said why not and she said because he beat the hell out of me and she said have you ever realized you are not free to go you are not free to go. And this girl told her story. She's like, listen, I never had a day off unless I had the flu. You know, they, they worked her through every holiday, every birthday, every Super Bowl, every NASCAR race. They fly them all over the country. And um, it was a true story and a scary story. These people are not free to go. This is a, a form of slavery, frankly. Um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to monopolize this conversation. You are my guest uh, but I really feel like I have to tell people about this and that it's real. And there was you. You're actually a real-life example 
of someone who witnessed it, chanced upon it, and had to use lethal force to prevent harm uh, to another person. So I'm just glad it turned out for you. Uh, I mean, I'm really, really happy that the system actually worked in this instance to protect you um, and that you're coming forward to tell your story. So, um, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to tell us before we go? No, I, I, you know, you are, uh, you're dead on with all of that. I, I could, I unfortunately do the incident happening. I felt a lot of people feel compelled to come forward to me and just as during the pandemic, you know, whistleblowers, people come forward and they share stories. And, uh, when I say unfortunately, meaning I, it's just, they're horrific. And these are monsters that are, that are, um, conducting slavery and we don't need to get away from that we don't need to shy we, we have a new sin in this country that's that's a, you know it's a result of bad border policy of horrible border, border policies of drug use um of being complicit and and the and allowing our legislatures to let this happen and i just hope that america wakes up to it because it's downright um you know embarrassing that at this point right now as we speak there's a child in every single state who's being trafficked at this very moment, no matter when you hear this. And we need to wake up to that as a nation. I'm talking to Jason Nelson. He is a disabled U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran, and he is the man at PrepperBeef.com. Again, PrepperBeef.com, all-American supply chain, right here in Texas. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having me, and thank you for sharing this story. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Listen, that last segment, or two segments, I guess, uh, with Jason Nelson probably is a really good introduction to uh, what I have to say next, which this is really uh, kind of a stressful but important segment. I have been trying really hard to try to understand what are these people thinking who are, you know, marching in the streets back in 2020, clearly uh, having contempt for their own country, for their own history, for their own heritage, in some cases for their own race. Um, it's, it's like a strand of Marxism It's taken over the institutions, and it's very difficult for me to understand how some of my very own friends or even a couple of family members seem to have fallen into this camp. And I'm talking about people who otherwise seem thoughtful, decent, intelligent, came from good families. What is going on? Like, how do you get over, how do you get pulled over into the I'm hopelessly brainwashed against my own self. Okay. I, these are, these are anti-white white people basically. Um, and it's, it's, it's really a form of Marxism comes out of critical theory. And I, I just, I've spent a whole lot of time and I decided, you know what? I'm going to do my very best to actually investigate what these people believe, and how this happened. I'm going to sincerely devote myself. I'm talking, and you know, I become obsessive about things like this. Um, I've spent hundreds of hours studying the oil trade. For example, I talk about oil and gas all the time. I'm going to devote myself 
to figuring this out. And why? Because I, I used to think that my show was about, you know, oil and gas and coal and nuclear and energy and environment policy. And more and more, as time went on, I realized it's not so much that my show is about energy. It's about myth busting. It's about telling the truth. It's about overcoming this grand worldwide narrative that is telling you that you have to hand over your freedom, your sovereignty, your wealth in the form of taxation and electric bills to a very small group of elites who will redistribute it to themselves. To do what? To stop the rise of the oceans. To to have the hubris to claim that they can stop the changing of the climate. I mean, it's over the top, but really, all of our problems come back to the same problem. People are believing things that are not true. That's the bottom line. Why? How is this happening? So, I asked a friend of mine who uh, has known me for a long time, I knew would be very honest. This is a very liberal child of very liberal people, very highly placed, uh, you know, not a Marxist, but a liberal, and and very high placed um, in a government apparatus. I said, hey, I sincerely want to know why there's a certain segment of our population, especially the young part of it, that is so self-loathing. I mean, what is going on? He gave me some of the best advice that I've ever received. It turns out, um, he said to me, do this, read a book. It's called The Jakarta Method, Washington's Anti-Communist Crusade and the Mass Murder Program that Shaped Our World. Okay, I do not recommend this book. I think it's a terrible book. It is written by a big-time journalist who, in my opinion, does not understand the history of communism and capitalism very well. I looked this guy up. His name is Vincent Bevins. I thought he would be some like 75-year-old hippie from the 60s, you know, who just doesn't get it. No, it turns out he was born in 1984. He's a water polo player or something. Whatever. But the point is, um, while I do not recommend this book to get a, a good understanding of 20th century history um, or today, what I will say is that this book has opened my eyes about what people of, of the author's generation believe and how you could go so militant and be so radicalized against yourself and your own country. I, I believe this book has explained it to me. I now know what they're believing. And I would put it this way. You know, what this book basically does is take some of the worst chapters, moments in American history, specifically the behavior of our intelligence services. And it explains, especially in the case of Jakarta, which is Indonesia, the country where Barack Obama was raised, pay attention, Jakarta. Um, It explains the 1960s in Jakarta, essentially 
uh, communism was gaining a foothold in the country. We did not want that, obviously. Neither did the Brits. Neither did the Aussies. So, according to this author, who says he's citing newly declassified materials, apparently, the United States offered to bring hundreds of generals from Indonesia to the United States to train to fight the communists, basically. And they went back to their home, and things came apart, and those people, or some of those people, committed a genocide onto the country's communists. And these were, you know, teachers, media people, whatever, people on a list of communist organizations that the United States made. It's our list he says, that we provided to them. And then these people went and hunted these people down. Supposedly, many of them or most of them were unarmed communists and their families. And apparently the, the genocide was so bad. It's between uh, 500,000 and a million people. It was so bad that it congested one of their rivers with bodies. Okay, so a really bad, really gruesome, really horrible chapter in history that this author says is our fault. And if you read um, through other parts of the book, you know, he, he uses concepts like, you know, white genocidal settlers. It seems like the only bad people in this book are white people and Christians, which really drives me crazy. Let me tell you, and I talk about this all the time on the show, A lot of what Indonesia was really about was oil. O-I-L. Oil. I don't care what anyone else said. I don't care how many thousands of people believed something in Indonesia. I'm telling you that if there were no oil in Indonesia, probably no one would have cared who took it over. I, I'm not being I, I'm not being indifferent, apathetic, non-compassionate. I'm simply telling you, we have to see the movements in the world history as what they're really motivated by. Let's not miss some of the big points. I don't dismiss or condone or 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 forgive, not that I was asked to, anything that our intelligence services did. And let me tell you something. I don't really need convincing that this guy is right about some of what our intelligence services have done. Look no further than Afghanistan, right? Conservatives will believe in a heartbeat that our country is capable of doing some bad things. There is no question about it. I don't know anyone who's going to argue that point. Essentially, the reason these young people don't like their country is because imagine that all you knew about American history was our last 20 years in Afghanistan and then pulling out um, and handing over a list of all the people who helped us to the Taliban, the people we supposedly were fighting, leaving behind hundreds of billions of dollars worth of equipment for them to kill people with or otherwise deal on the black market and profit and arm themselves and train themselves. What if that were all you knew? 
about America's history in the world, would you think we're good guys or bad guys? So I'm not telling you that what this person is writing is false. I'm also not telling you that what the young people are believing is all lies. I think we should readily and quickly concede the places where the country has made errors, mistakes, moral wrongs. However, comma, what has to be added is the rest of the story. The rest of the story. It's not that they believe lies necessarily. It's that they believe one piece of a thousand-piece puzzle. And they think they have it. This is what critical theory is. When you want to destroy someone or something, you zoom in on their worst moment and make that the story. Imagine that someone took the worst moment in your life, the thing, the, the thing that you regret the most, the worst thing you ever did, and put it up on a big overhead screen and told the whole world, that's that person. That's who they are. That's the full story. Render judgment, right? This is what's happening. It's not so much that they're believing lies, which is why when they say something crazy, like America is a force for evil, and you say, what are you talking about after all the good that we've done in this world? And they look at you and don't believe you, and you're two ships passing in the night. That's how this can happen. A repeated, repeated, repeated messaging. That something is bad with zero counterweight to give the full story. I see this sometimes on social media. I know a handful of people, one of them is a school teacher, who every post is, what a horrible country we have. We did this, we did this, we did this. I guess she's never read Dinesh D'Souza's What's So Great About America, right? Um, but th- we, we have to approach this and hit it head on. The only way we can do it is to first accurately diagnose the problem. And that's what this book did for me. I now see and understand why they think they're so righteous. They think they're so righteous in decrying how horrible people are. And notice they slide in there the racial in religious angles, which is particularly false and evil. Um, in the next segment, I'm going to tackle that. Just, to, just enough to give you some ammo uh, to return. Metaphorical, figurative, uh, you know, rhetorical ammo. Uh, to push back on the false narratives these kids are believing. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. I'll be right back. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show, and in the last segment, I was describing um, this book I read called The Jakarta Method, The Jakarta Method, Washington's Anti-Communist Crusade, and the Mass Murder Program that Shaped Our World, a book I really don't like. I don't recommend it to you. Please do not crack this open. If you don't have a good, solid, foundational understanding of what is communism and its history, And what is capitalism and its history? Uh, Because you could definitely come away with some wrong ideas, I believe, after reading this book. But the point is, it finally opened my eyes 
to why and how the younger generation has been seduced into believing that they are born of bad people. They are, they are spawned of some systemically evil country that we have been a force for bad in the world. I now can, I, I spent hours in this book and I see how it tells a very compelling story uh, you know, about a genocide um, that the United States played a role in instigating. And there's no question, I would be sure, that some of our leadership uh, played a role in some innocent people being killed. I don't doubt it. I would say the same thing about Afghanistan. Um, but but what's so, what is so bad about the story is you could come away from reading something like this, and this guy writes for a major newspaper, okay? You could come away believing that white Christians invented slavery or invented colonialism or invented war or destabilizing governments, which, by the way, that's a... (laughs) What he describes in the Jakarta Method is happening in this country right now. If there's one, if there's another thing I learned from this book is that there's a very old playbook. It probably goes back to ancient times of how you can work to agitate from the outside to destabilize a country and a population and tear it apart and cause warfare and, and bet on the winning side that you want. Um, this guy makes a compelling argument. We saw that in Jakarta, Indonesia, in the 60s, back around uh, the time that Barack Obama was about to grow up there. Wonder what he thinks about all this. I can only imagine. Um, But they also replayed that in Latin America, in the Middle East, a lot of places. And guess what? Before there was us, other people were doing it. And now they're doing it to us. The book shows you how that happens. And when it kicks off, They come after powerful people, influential people, and just ask them to come to the police station. Or they arrest them. And then guess what? They disappear. You never see them again. It kind of goes through. Here's what it looks like. Here's what happens. And then once the protectors are disappeared, now they kick it off. It's every man for himself. Horrible story. Horrible chapter. Again, I don't doubt that it really happened. I don't trust this person, to be honest with you, is my personal opinion. I can't, the, the, the awful uh, race-baiting, self-loathing, um, that's what it looks like to me. That's what I took away. And I think it's terrible. Um, working in, again, the racism, um, that this belongs to a race or, or a certain religion. Um, I have big news for this guy. Slavery long predates Christianity. By millennia. Millennia. And here's some other bad news. Unfortunately, pretty much every people on earth have practiced it since ancient times. It's not as if white people have a monopoly on slavery. Oh, no. Moreover, and perhaps most importantly, we have more slavery in the world right now than we've ever had at any other time in human history. 
as I just had this interview with Jason Nelson on the show describing that he encountered real life human slavery happening in Waco, Texas, a group of women essentially being held captive who are not free to go. And, and I'm not being flippant. This is real. They're not free to go. It's called slavery. But even the old-fashioned kind of slavery still goes on. I have a girlfriend named Holly. She has an uh, organization called Matthew 10. Literally, you can pay money to free people from slavery. I'm not going to tell you all the countries she operates in. Here's the point. Literally, she goes around the world. There are places where people are still enslaved and have been generationally, as in families are enslaved, and then their children are enslaved because they're owing a debt to the slave owner. And my friend's ministry literally pays money to the slave owner to set entire families free from generational slavery. That still goes on many parts of the world. And then there's just the good old-fashioned kind of slavery that goes on on more than one continent right now where you lost a war. You lost a war. Your people are taken captive. This happened in Europe all the time. Um, If you haven't seen The Last Kingdom, I recommend it. There's an example, you know, Vikings invade England. They take people and sell them into slavery, okay? White people on white people. In fact, I would say, historically, it is more common that people enslave their own race. Why? Because that's who happens to be nearby. That's who you're competing with. That's who you're competing with for the hunting grounds, for the fishing river, whatever. Whatever it is you're fighting about, that's who happens to be the closest. And so that's who gets taken, enslaved. Or... How about the founding of the U.S. Marine Corps? If you don't know about this, look up the story of the Barbary Pirates. Have you ever heard of the Barbary Pirates? If you're a person who's a self-hating white American, probably not. Uh, But you really should look into it. Amazing story about around the founding uh, of this republic. Americans would sail to that area right past the Rock of Gibraltar where Spain meets Morocco. If you go into the Mediterranean, in northern Africa, there were people who practiced piracy. They wanted to loot ships, and they would take the people on the ships, in this case, white Americans, and sell them into slavery in northern Africa. You better believe it. And so there's a great story about it where, you know, the American delegation goes to uh, meet with the ambassador from the Barbary Pirates. And this guy says, uh, yeah, what we want is tribute. You're going to pay us money. You want to sail past here? You pay us. Some you know, jumped up troll under a bridge. You had to pay to go through the Mediterranean. And that is when, reportedly, the American president said, here is my conclusion. This is a dispatch he sent back to the States after meeting with the Barbary Pirates. He said, not one penny for tribute, millions for defense. Millions for defense. Not one penny for tribute, millions for defense. The American Marine Corps 
was founded to address the problem. What problem? Are people being taken as slaves? These are white people. Here's my point. If, if what the younger generation is recoiling against is slavery, cruelty, inequality, immorality, that's great. I'm glad we've discovered it. I'm, I'm delighted, in fact. I think we should care about all of that. And not forget. Not erase the history. Remember, I'm simply pointing out, when these stories are only barely partially told, and we're not told about the regimes that were murderous, usually against their own people, their own people. Look, Jakarta is a drop in the bucket compared to uh, the, the massacres of the 20th century. And if you look into it, you're going to find the more centralized the government, the more likely they are to do that times 37 to their own people. Why is that not told? Why are we not told the truth about the history of slavery? Why is the younger generation not learning it? But this is the problem. They have the truth, mostly. But they only have one puzzle piece out of a thousand puzzle pieces. Let's tell the truth. And I haven't even got to, and I guess I don't have time this segment or maybe this show. I haven't even got to the fact that the abolitionist movement in this country and in England was led by Christians. The abolitionist movement to end slavery was led by Christian people. Okay? And at the same time, at the same time, you look at the U.S. military. Who volunteers to support and defend their country more than any other group? The answer is Southern evangelicals. The most religious are the most defensive. They're not hostile to the government. They don't mount coups. They don't provide instability. We've been here for like 250 years almost. They're the people who are defending the stability of the state and its interests, okay? That is the fact. These are the facts. Does everyone know that who's out marching? in the street against their own country, self-loathing their own grandparents and parents and themselves because they're from the wrong, you know, tribe. You're not from the wrong tribe. If having bad things in your past makes you the wrong tribe, we're all the wrong tribe. All people are equally guilty of some of these offenses we're discussing. We just need to be honest about that and talk about who has turned it around and who's a force for good now. Okay, I know I'm out of time, right? I'm way out of time. Okay, have to get a break. You're listening. Or no, it's not even the break. Uh, okay, got to go. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Jackie Daly. 